Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back into another episode of Bucko Booth. My name is Benson Factor, and I'll be the host of your show today. Usually, we start off the episodes, you know, diving right into our weekly recap and our weekly awards. But today, we have a very special guest on the line, Montana Durapo, a rookie relief pitcher for the Pirates. So we're going to bring him in and uh, see how he's doing today. Hey, Montana. All right, we're waiting for him to load in. Just a uh, little bit of technical difficulties with the uh, system. But he should uh, be in here uh, any second once this uh, this buffer figures itself out. Uh, but until then, just a quick uh, background on Montana. He's had, I believe, seven major league appearances at this point, five on the road, two at home. Uh, we're going to dive into all of that here in uh, just a moment uh, once the, the system wants to figure itself out. Um, yeah, so very excited to uh, to have him on the show here in just a minute. See what's going on um, with these uh, these difficulties. Yeah, so I'll just give us a second here, and we will get it figured out for you. Uh, Pirates got the Dodgers on tap uh, this evening for the rest of the weekend. Uh, we'll get into all of that after the interview um, and once the system. Uh, starts working again. All Hello? Right, I think we... Oh, hey, Montana. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, sorry sorry for the difficulties there. Um, Not, not sure what happened, but uh, happy to have you on the show. No problem. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll just dive right into uh, the questions, get the most out of you here. So, you know, everybody has a story about being called up. So, like, how did Brian Esposito let you know, and who was the first person you called after you uh, were notified? Uh, so, we were in Scranton, and there was a, a team meeting scheduled on the board. And the previous night, we had a rain delay, and we played kind of crappy. So, we all thought we were going to get chewed out, and it was just going to be one of those one of those meetings, you know, where – your coach tells you you need to come locked in even if you have an hour and a half rain delay. That's no excuse. But it, it didn't turn out to be that way. He just kind of started talking about the, the journey through the minor leagues and the grind and kind of hit some points that kind of pertain to, you know, my journey through the minor leagues. And just as he was kind of finishing up talking, he played uh, my walkout song on the, the speakers in the locker room. And I looked up, and everyone was just staring at me. And he told me I was going to the big leagues, and it was just – it was an unreal experience. Um, the person I called first was my dad. And I could hear him on the phone, like, kind of fall over on the ground. And he just, like, was just, like, crying tears of joy. It was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I'll uh, just get into your debut. I know it came at in a uh, blowout loss on May the 9th, but can you sort of describe the thoughts like running through your head uh, when Clint called down to the bullpen, your name was called, and then uh, running out to the mound? Um, I think um, just kind of the way the game was going, like internally I thought, well, this is going to be it. Um, and then when they called down and asked for my name, I, you know, just hopped on the mound, and that's when the, like my nerves kind of set in. Um, but as soon as I ran through the bullpen, you know, just running, running towards the mound, they kind of subsided a little bit. Cause it's like, you know what I mean? It's, 
there's a lot of people in the stands, but I've made this run so many times in my life that I don't know, just kind of took all the pressure off. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so like, what was it like making your uh, first five appearances on the road? And uh, although it didn't go as planned, what was your PNC Park debut like? First five appearances on the road were pretty cool. I mean, that was a that was a pretty awesome road trip to be a part of. St. Louis is just, you know what I mean, an iconic team, an iconic park. Getting to pitch against them twice was really, really cool. Um, I got to pitch. Uh, my family came out to Arizona. So pitching in Arizona was, I mean, that was the first time I played in front of my family. So that was that was really special. And then playing in San Diego was beautiful. Um, that was pretty interesting with the whole opening thing. Uh, you know, I hadn't started a game in five years, but it was – I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then with PNC, obviously you don't want it to go that way. And, you know, one one bad pitch can, you know, sting you and hurt the team. And it's just it's just one of those things, you know, if he's under that ball by, you know, a couple centimeters, you know, it's a pop-up center field or something like that, but it just, you know, it's not the way it, it went that day. And, you know, uh, next day I had to pitch again, had to just, you know, it's, it's not on your mind. You just have to go out there and put up zeros as consistently as you can. Yeah. And just getting to like the opener uh, discussion, like the Pirates, they've been around for 133 years, such a storied history. What does it mean to you to be the first opener in franchise history? And how did Clint let you know you'd get the ball? I think it's 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 pretty cool. It's just um I, I, I think there's I don't know, like a like a stigma going around with this whole opening thing. It's because it's really just I, I don't think it's ever gonna be like a mainstream thing. Um, but it, it definitely can help on the days that you are using uh a bullpen to cover an entire game. It just uh you know, I think it's gonna take time to kinda like like iron out how exactly to go about it and how to like pre game for it and stuff like that. But um that day in San Diego, he was just – it was after the, the third game – or after the second game, I was just walking into the clubhouse. I'm usually the last one because I have to pick up the bullpen bag and stuff like that. And as I was passing his locker – or his uh, – the manager's office, he just kind of hollered at me and said, hey, how you feel about starting tomorrow? I was like, what? He goes, yeah, well, you're opening. And I was like, all right, sounds good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but – like not many right-handed pitchers are uh, under six feet. Are you intimidated at all? Like when big guys, uh, Jose Martinez, uh, just to name one, bat against you? Uh, no. I don't think uh, like size isn't a thing that I think affects my ability to pitch to you. And uh, if they think that my size is, you know, going to give them an advantage on hitting off me. I hope they all think that because that is not the case at all. Yeah. Uh, so you have one of the most unique names in all of baseball. It's pretty cool. Just uh, John Heyman tweeted it when you were called up. Uh, how did your parents decide to name you Montana? When I was conceived, my mom was reading a book, and the book took place in Montana, and she thought it was a cool name, so they just kind of went with it. It's pretty cool, yeah. Uh, just getting to sort of your – you had. 
early big league success in your first five outings and then uh, your first taste of failure on that PNC Park debut. How do you sort of balance the highs and the lows that is the game of baseball? Uh, I would say that you you it's not about focusing on balancing the highs and lows. It's just you don't even pay attention to it. It's like when you do good, you just leave it at that. When you do bad, you just leave it at that. If you harp on you know what I mean? Every single time you do good and you harp on every single time you do bad, you're going to have a, a a pretty up and down season. And I think it's just like when you do good, you you're internalizing like why you're doing good, like what you're doing well. But you're not going to you're not going to like ride this high when you're done doing it. You're just paying attention to what you're doing well and you're going to try and bring that over. And the same with doing bad. You're not going to think about it all day after the game because then it's going to affect your your ability to play at the, you know, your next opportunity. You're just focusing on like what you did bad and you're kind of just like dropping it as soon as I wouldn't say as soon as you're off the field, you're going to think about what you did wrong and what you can do better. But I mean, if you take, once you take a shower, you know, you're on to the next day. Yeah. Clint loves to say uh, the whole shower off mentality. Um, So, just going into your starts, why did you choose to come out of the bullpen instead of the dugout as a uh, typical starter would? I think it's just because it's like a, a comfort thing. It's like uh, I don't – I haven't started in so long. It's hard to map out, you know, like when the game exactly starts, when you're going to go on the field, and I don't want to be – because when I warm up in the bullpen, I'm not going to stop warming up and go sit down for, you know, three or four minutes and then wait to get called in and go into the mound or go into the game. I'm just going to, you know, you just keep throwing. You'll pace yourself once you know you're ready, but you never really stop throwing in the bullpen. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything different. So I figured I might as well just treat it like I'm going in for the starter who didn't get any outs and there's nobody on base. Yeah. So uh, just as a follow-up question, that if you were to come up to bat in San Diego, what was the, sort of the plan there or was there a plan at all? Oh, I hit in San Diego. No, I'm saying, like, let, let's say we're batting the first inning, right, and, you know, we, they bat through the order. What was the plan? Uh, oh, oh the... yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to run into the, the dugout in the, like, in between at-bats. Like, if, we, if, if there was, like, the opportunity was becoming relevant, I would just probably run in in between the sixth and seventh hitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just a couple more questions here. Uh, I know you've been in Pittsburgh for less than a month so far, uh, but what is your favorite part of the city uh, that you've seen so far? Uh, I haven't really had much time to explore. Um, you know, I'm just kind of – I'm not trying to do too much. I'm just trying to, like, kind of stay focused, just getting my rest. Um, but obviously the the view at PNC Park is – it's unbelievable. Every time you you just kind of look at that skyline, it just kind of like sinks in. Like, yeah, this is this is real, and I never want to leave. Yeah, it's definitely one of the best in baseball. Uh, just for the last question here: What are your expectations for yourself and then the team for the rest of the 2019 season? My expectations for myself are kind of always the same. I'm gonna every time I take them out, I'm gonna put my best stuff against anybody's best stuff, and I'm going to try and help this team win and I want to and I want to stay here and I want to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just some uh, quick rapid fire questions to close this out. 
uh, sort of not baseball related, but uh, pretty be pretty interesting to see your answers here. So, uh, what's your favorite thing in your closet right now? My favorite thing in my closet? Yeah. Um, in my closet, probably my my my. It's, I wouldn't say it's my lucky pair of pants, but it's basically my pair of pants that I I wear all the time. It's like I just I don't know. Everybody has that one pair of pants that just fits right, and you wish yeah. you had a thousand pairs of them. Yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, at the end of the day, baseball is just a game. Do you have any pets? Yeah, I have a dog. Her name is Chaos. What's your favorite movie ever? Favorite movie ever? The Count of Monte Cristo. Good one. Uh, describe yourself as a teenager in three words. Crazy, stupid, nerdy. Yeah. Uh, what is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, when people slurp while drinking. Yeah. Uh, dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Milk chocolate. If you could be from any other decade, which would it be? Seventies. If you weren't playing baseball, what would you be doing? Coaching. All right, and last question to close out here. Can we expect to see this team playing in October? I truly believe you can, yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for joining the show today. Hopefully we do get that October uh, prediction right. Uh, good luck tonight in the game, and uh, maybe we'll see you on the mound, hopefully in front of another big PNC Park crowd. For sure, sounds good. All right, have a good day, Montana. Take it easy. All right, Montana Dropout joining us here live on Bucket Booth. Again, huge shout-out, and thank you to him for coming on to the show and joining us. Very uh, – good interview uh i love the kid he's um he's gonna be very special uh for this pirates team and like that last uh low answer too i truly expect this team can be in october let's hope that comes true all right let's do our weekly recap uh we're gonna just delay like 15 uh, minutes here it's gonna be an hour, another hour episode today so oh uh, you can uh get yourself comfortable get ready because we have a lot of bucko baseball to cover so headed back to uh saturday uh, against the Padres, 7-2 win over the Pods. Uh, Brault with the win on Sunday, 6-4 win to close out the road trip. Musgrove uh, picks up his third win of the season. Tuesday, home against the Rockies, 5-0 loss. Marquez dominated uh, Wednesday against the Rockies, a 9-3 loss. Montana dropout started that game. Didn't go as planned, but uh, hey, it's baseball. Uh, Thursday, a blowout win against the Rockies, 14-6. Jordan Lyles. Same old dominant self. And yesterday, using the opener again, uh, blowout loss to the Dodgers by a score of 10 to 10. Uh, so the transactions for this week, um, if there's anything of note. <clears throat> yeah, so on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Friday, uh, yesterday, uh, the Pirates sent left fielder Corey Dickerson on a rehab assignment. Uh, to the Indianapolis Indians, so only uh, transaction of the week. Let's get into our weekly awards. 
Player of the week goes to Josh Bell, a 435 average, 10 for 23, four home runs, eight RBIs, a fantastic week from Josh Bell. His MVP season continues. Sadly, Bellinger was the one homer last night and not uh, minus to Inger. Uh, hopefully we see that tonight from uh, Josh Bell. Big crowd last night. He played very well. Uh, he is starting to put the league on notice. I'd be very surprised if he does not win National League Player of May. Our pitch of the week goes to Felipe Vasquez. He pitched in the Indian in a game, got the save, gave up a hit, struck out in the side. Uh, what more can you ask from the nightmare? Which wish he could have pitched more this week. Uh, as uh, this week the Pirates went three and four, uh, but he did get the one save to close out the road trip on Sunday. So uh, he earns our pitch of the week. As you know, our pitchers have been getting dinged up a little bit. We'll figure this out. But Felipe, he's going to be an all-star again. It's a matter of time at this point. He is the best closer in all of baseball. I mean, he's only gotten roughed up on two home runs to Ty France and Joey Gallup, and none of them have wound up costing him. He's perfect in the saves, 13 for 13. Um, I mean, hopefully we get the blowout tonight so we don't have to, to use him, but I'd definitely be happy if we see Felipe Vasquez on the mound at PNC Park tonight. Rookie of the week goes to Brian Reynolds, a 353 average, six for 17, two bombs, five ribbies, anchored down. Brian Reynolds, uh, he is quickly turning into one of the better players on this Pirates roster, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the likes of Corey Dickerson and Lonnie Chisinau return, because we have four very solid outfielders right now in Marte, Polanco, Reynolds, and Cabrera, and you had two more in Dickerson and Chisinau. Chisnall can play first base, third base, but Dickerson is a left fielder. He's not moving from that spot. So what do you do with Brian Reynolds? I mean, in my opinion, you cannot sit him until he he proves that he's not worthy to be in that lineup. But until then, he has to be in that lineup every day, uh, and he has been one of the most pleasant surprises all season. That Andrew McCutcheon trade looks better and better by the day, the return being Brian Reynolds and Kyle Crick. Uh, that the Giants are uh, wishing they had Mr. Reynolds right now. All right, glove of the week goes to Adam Frazier. 32 total chances, 19 assists, 13 put out, six double plays, no errors. We've talked a lot about Adam Frazier's defense on this show, and I've said this entire time. Wait until Adam Frazier is a full-time player and he gets, he gets himself good at second base because he's always had to bounce around left field, I mean, all over the place in the outfield, infield. It would do whatever Clint told him to do. And now that he's the everyday second baseman, his defense is really starting to flourish. He had a two-hit game last night, so hopefully that back is going a little bit. But, uh, yeah, Adam Frazier is starting to turn into a fantastic defensive second baseman. Uh, he's as sure as they come now out there. And uh, very happy to see the progression that Adam Frazier has taken as this team's everyday second baseman. Uh, good work from Bell, Vasquez, Reynolds, and Frazier this week. Let's talk about some uh, rehab stints that we have going on. A pair, a pair of uh, key pirates are headed towards a rehab stint. No team in baseball has been more injury riddled than the Pittsburgh Pirates, but the Bucks may be getting two key players back soon. Yeah, no MLB team has been injury rattled this season than the Pittsburgh Pirates. 20 Pirate players have spent time on the injury list, which is a MLB high, and this number may soon climb. Chris Stratton exited Friday's game with a side injury. Odds are this injury will cost him MLB time. Due to this, Stratton is likely to land on the IL. However, reinforcements could be on the way soon. 
On Saturday, Keone Kella is scheduled to start a rehab stint with AAA Indianapolis. He is slated to pitch one inning for the Indians uh, prior to hitting the IL on May 8th. Kella owned a 4.63 ERA, 5.57 FIP, and a 22% strikeout rate in 11 and two-thirds innings of work. While his overall numbers are not great, it is due to an abysmal start to the season. Kella made six consecutive scores appearances before going on the IL. Getting Kella back will be a big boost to the Pirate bullpen. Hopefully it happens sooner than later. Another key Pirate that is on the men is left fielder Corey Dickerson. Dickerson has been on the IL with a shoulder strain since April 4th. Friday night he served as Indy's designated hitter and went 0 for 4. While he was held hitless, it was great just to see him get at bats, especially after his last rehab attempt was shut down due to his shoulder issues popping up again. When Dickerson returns, it will be interesting to see what the Pirates do. Brian Reynolds is playing like a Rookie of the Year candidate, and Melky Cabrera is playing like a Comeback Player of the Year candidate. So the team will add to its outfield log jam when Dickerson returns. Thankfully, this will be a good problem for the Pirates to have. Right, let's talk a little about some uh, mock drafts. Draft day is coming up. Uh, yesterday, one of the top draft scouting sites, Baseball America, put out their most recent mock draft. They have the Pirates taking a pitcher. As the draft gets closer, it becomes more and more clear what teams are looking for in this year's MLB draft. The Pittsburgh Pirates have four picks on day one, which will allow them to get creative and bring in plenty of promising prospects. The Bucks will have the 18th overall pick, the 37th, 57th, and 72nd pick. One thing that has been made appear- apparent by the top scouting sites like B- Baseball America and MLB Pipeline. The Pittsburgh Pirates are very likely looking at either a left side of the infield prospect or right-handed pitching prospect with their 18th overall pick. This has been the consistent trend in almost all of the recent mock drafts. MLB Pipeline recently put out two mock drafts over the last week. In the first one, Jim Callis had the Pittsburgh Pirates selecting right-handed pitcher, prep pitcher Quinn Priester. And the second one, Jonathan Mayo projected the Bucks taking high school third baseman Brett Beatty. In the last mock draft done by Baseball America, they had the Pittsburgh Pirates selecting prep shortstop Gunnar Henderson, who was also mocked up to the Bucks in the previous MLB Pipeline mock drafts as well. Well, yesterday, the Baseball America put out their most recent projections for the MLB draft. This time, they have Gunnar Henderson sliding past the Bucks and not going off the board until pick number 25. So who do they have the Pirates taking? At the 18th pick, they are projecting the Pittsburgh Pirates to take prep pitcher Brennan Malone. Malone is a right-handed pitcher who attends IMG Academy in Florida. He is projected in most mocks to go somewhere between pick number 13 and number 23. Malone is a projectable pitcher standing at six foot three and weighing 200 pounds. He already has a fastball that hits at as high as 96 and has a projectable slider and curveball. Here's what Baseball America had to say on their Malone projection. Quote, Malone checks some of the boxes that the Pittsburgh Pirates have previously gone after with prep arms early in the draft. And this is the range that his name and Quinn Priester start to come up more. Logan Davidson could still be a possibility here. End quote. Like MLB Pipeline's recent mock draft, Baseball America understands what the Pittsburgh Pirates look for in the draft. Neil Huntington's staff have always put a premium on drafting right-handed starting pitching prospects as well as athletic shortstops. It seems that the expectation is for the Bucks to take one of the two positions on June 3rd when the first round begins. 
I mean, heading into draft day, we are in pretty good position. I mean, picks-wise, we have four picks on the first day, uh, those being the number 18, 37, 57, and 72. Uh, rounds one through two are on day one, three through 11 on day two, and 11 through 40 on day three. Uh, we will have all of the coverage for the MLB draft on my Bucks Dugout account. Give that a follow on Instagram, at Bucks Dugout, for all up-to-date draft coverage. Uh, we did a preview yesterday on Brett Beatty. Uh, put up a poll uh, on who you guys think the Pirates should take. Uh, it's between Brett Beatty and Quinn Priester. Uh, Priester just barely beat out uh, Beatty uh, by a score of 22 to 21. So it seems like you guys are torn over Priester and Beatty. And really, you can't go wrong with the two. Uh, I definitely think uh, this Malone kid uh, would be good as well. Brennan Malone from IMG Academy in Florida. I mean, the kid's 6'3", 200 already. He's, he is ready to jump into the system. And, I mean, it's it's going to be completely different than the pick they had last year in Travis Swaggerty. Swaggerty comes from Southern Alabama, graduating. He's going to fly through the system, right? But whoever the Pirates take in the first round uh, on June the 3rd, is not going to fly through the system, whether it be Brett Beatty, Quinn Priester, uh, maybe even Logan Davidson, Brennan Malone, Gunnar Henderson. Uh, they're, they're not going to fly through the system. Prep guys just do not do that. So it's going to be a little bit of a project. And to be honest, if they, if they take a picture, the last time they took a prep picture on the first round was Shane Boz in 2017, uh, the piece that was sent to uh, Tampa Bay in the Chris Archer trade. And I really think that uh, if Brennan Malone drops to that number 18 pick, because he's, he's projected to go between 13 and 23, or if Logan Davidson can fall to number 18, I think you have to take either Malone or Davidson. Uh, if they get picked up earlier, I definitely think uh, it's, it comes between Quinn Priester and Brett Beatty at that point. And it's going to be interesting to see what Neil Huntington does. Uh, if they go for the right-handed pitcher uh, in Quinn Priesto, just bolster, you know, our pitching uh, prospects. Uh, I mean, one of the top prospects now from last year's draft, Aaron Shortridge, I believe he was a fourth-round pick from Cal. Uh, he's been pitching very well for the team. Um, so it would be nice to just, you know, bolster that a little bit. He's going to take his time going through the system. If I mean, whoever gets drafted, their ETA, if I had to guess, would be 2024. 2025, I mean, between 23 and 25, just depending on how well they do um, in the system. But it's not going to be a fly-through. Like, Swaggerty, I could honestly see getting a call next September, uh, definitely in the 2021 season. Um, but whoever the Pirates decide to take, it, it's not going to be the same situation because, again, these are prep guys, high school guys. They're 18, 19 years old. Brett Beatty is old for his class, he's 19 and a half, just graduating uh, from his high school. So he is a little bit older, so he might move through the system faster. But still, they're not professional baseball players yet. Brett Beatty coming out of Lake Travis High School in Austin, Texas. The kid can flat out hit, too. And I really think it might be a good idea to develop some third-base depth after Key Brian Hayes. Um, we, we know how special Key Brian is going to be. But at some point, I feel like if they draft Brett Beatty, let's say Key Brian gets called up at some point this year, next year, uh, and, you know, he'll go through six years of service time if the, if the Pirates do not elect to uh, extend him or they don't sign an extension with him, 
uh, you'd think that the Q. Brian Hayes era would go from 2020 to like 2026. Uh, Brett Beatty by 2026 knows this is super far down the road, but we like to have fun here on Bucket Booth. Brett Beatty would probably take over for Q. Brian Hayes at some point, um, you know, 2026, 2027, uh, just depending on when the Pirates elect to call up Q. Brian Hayes. I mean, Hayes may not pan out. Let's say he doesn't pan out, we have to go to another third base option. Keep Carl Moran. Uh, Brett Beatty might have to be better, ready a little bit sooner than that. Um, so we'll, we'll see how all this pans out. I love the draft, guys. Uh, and it does not get covered as much as, uh, I mean, certainly not the NBA or NFL draft. I mean, NBA, they had the, the lottery was televised. Um, we don't have a lottery in baseball, but I definitely do like shedding light upon this topic, too, because small market teams like the Pirates are built on the draft. They are. They have to be built on the draft because we don't go out there and sign big money free agents. We have to build the team through draft and smart trades. And that's what Neil Huntington has done. That's that's why we're in a position to win the World Series this year, as Montana Dropout told us earlier on the show today. It's because of the draft picks that we selected and developing through the system. We have four picks in day one. Day one is the most important day. Yes, there are diamonds in the rough in days two and three. Especially day day two, there can definitely be in rounds three through 11. You're getting 11 through 40. It's a little bit dicey. But keep in mind, guys, Montana Durapa was a 32nd round pick by the Pittsburgh Pirates out of Beth and Cookman College. So you really can't count anybody. And that's why I get just so enthusiastic about this and try to break down all 40 rounds that the Pirates pick. I believe they they get 41, 42 selections. Um, yeah, they'll have 42 selections this year. And that that's just why I get so into it, because I'm feeding you guys hopefully some knowledge, and you'll have these guys' names, you know, in the back of your head. I mean, we're not going to be talking about – I mean, leading up to the draft, we're only really going to be discussing the, the first-round picks. Um, and just some names, again, to remember, Brett Beatty, Quinn Priester, Gunnar Henderson, Brennan Malone, maybe even a Logan Davidson. Uh, we're going to continue this draft discussion a little more and uh, sort of dive into, uh, yeah, Brett Beatty, uh, the prep third baseman from Lake Travis High School in Austin, Texas. The Pittsburgh Pirates will have the 18th overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft. The draft is less than two weeks away, less than two weeks now. Uh, so we are going to be diving into it. Uh, it'll take place from June 3rd to 5th. Uh, here at Bucket Booth, we have been trying to keep up with as many prospects that could possibly go to the Pittsburgh Pirates and this year's MLB draft. For a while now, it seemed pretty clear that the team would use their 18th overall pick in one of two ways. Uh, many sites, such as Baseball America and MLB Pipeline, have projected the Bucks to take a shortstop or a right-handed prep pitcher. However, it is seen that both states are convinced that the Bucks will not miss out on taking a shortstop on the first day of the draft in some capacity, whether it's with pick number 18 or number 37. So far, the most common name that has been connected to the Bucks has been Alabama prep shortstop Gunnar Henderson. And MLB Pipeline's mock draft from last week, Jim Callis had the Pittsburgh Pirates selecting Illinois prep pitcher Quinn Priester. This would make sense as the Bucks are always looking at projectable right-handed pitchers. However, this has changed in the most recent update from Jonathan Mayo at MLB Pipeline. Mayo still believes that the Bucs will look for a prep player, but not a shortstop or a right-handed pitcher. Mayo has the Pittsburgh Pirates selecting Texas prep third baseman Brett Beatty. 
Beatty is a projectable power bat that stands at six foot three and weighs 210 pounds. He bats left-handed and is expected to be able to stick at third base, although it's not a guarantee. Currently, Beatty is committed to the University of Texas, but uh, signability is not considered to be a concern. Uh, here's what Mayo had to say about Beatty's draft stock. Yes, Beatty is old for his class in 19 and a half, but if you were to go on to Texas and be a draft eligible sophomore in two years, no one would be saying anything about his age, and he can flat out hit. Beatty being one of the older players may actually be a good thing. One thing that really bothers Pittsburgh Pirates fans is how long it takes for our prospects to climb up the system. Beatty being older and more physically mature might be more aggressively moved up to the system. Also, he will help fill a major need for the Pittsburgh Pirates being one of the best pure power bats in the 2019 draft class. And he'd be great to have. I would absolutely love Brett Beatty with number 18 overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft. I would. And again, it's important too because it fills that key Brian Hayes once he moves up, who's next? It's always that who's next mentality and I feel like Brett Beatty would slot right into that spot. Uh, I mean, the fact that he is 19 and a half again, it's, it's good for us fans because he might aggressively system more so than if he was a 17 or 18 year old kid. He's 6'3", 210, guys. He is physically mature. Left, uh, bats left-handed. I mean, that, that short portion right there, we talked about this with Comrade. Uh, he hasn't necessarily figured that home run swing out yet. But Brett Beatty is the one of the best pure power bats in this draft class. And we have talked at length about how we need power bats to be a contending team, to be a World Series champion, as Montana Durapa believes we can be. Brett Beatty would obviously not help that out for many years to come, but he would help extend this window that we discussed. I mean, I believe we have winning to win the World Series between now and 2023. Uh, Brett Beatty could help extend that window with his power bat. I mean, uh, imagine a corner infield if they can lock up Josh Bell of Bell and Beatty. You get Brian Reynolds and left. Swaggerty also will probably be out there by that point. We'll see you know, who sticks around with Martin Polanco. Uh, O'Neal Cruz will probably be the shortstop at that point. Maybe Kevin Kramer at second base. Get Dion Stafford behind the plate. Um, maybe even Diaz fell out sticks there. But uh, we have a future, and the power bats are starting to develop too. And another power guy that they drafted last season was Brett Kinnaman from NC State. He's been tearing it up in the minor leagues. I mean, he could definitely be another power option, uh, outfield option, and our outfield prospects. We have a fair amount of them. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've seen Brian Reynolds. Jason Martin is still getting himself down there. We saw what he could do when he made his uh, debut earlier this season. Uh, then you have guys like Travis Swaggerty, Calvin Mitchell, Lolo Sanchez. Uh, there's a lot of good guys in the system, as well as Brett Kinneman. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good guys in the system that are going to move their way up to Pittsburgh. And let's say they're blocked. Okay, we have something that's blocked. It's a perfect trade piece to use when we go out of the deadline this year and acquire the piece that's going to push us over the top. Drafting is very important because you make the good draft picks, you turn a good prospect. When you're a contending team, you can flip those good prospects. When you're a rebuilding team or sort of in that middle phase, uh, retool as the Pirates did last season, you can allow those prospects to move through the system and be a part of the future of your organization. That's why the draft is so important. 
the draft gets almost no coverage. And really, if, if we look around at, um, you know, what people care about, nobody's talking about the draft except us. We're the, really the only Pirates podcast, well, really the only consistent Pirates podcast out there. But we talk about the draft because, again, I mean, yes, we've been talking about it for a fair amount of this episode. But I want you guys to get these names in your head. So draft night when they select blank, maybe it's Brett Beatty. You're like, oh, yeah, Benson told me about that on Bucko Boots. You know, it, it's it's here to help you and get get it out. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not just an ordinary average Pirates fan. You're probably, you know, a diehard fan at, as myself. And... I want you guys to get this information in your head because it only helps your fandom. It only helps your knowledge. And, I mean, it's being a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates is one of the, the more fun things. I love doing this podcast, and I love spreading news like this to you guys. And, I mean, again, the names to think about, Brett Beatty, Quinn Priester, uh, Gunnar Henderson, uh, that uh, Brennan uh, Morell and then uh, Logan Davidson. So just some names. And at some point, just to let you guys know, at some point in day one, they are going to be drafting a shortstop. But we talked about potentially Drew Lugo at that, uh, I think it's the 37th pick. Yeah. They're, they're, I, if I had to guess right now, I want Beatty at 18, Lugo at uh, 37. Uh, and, you know, I would not be upset, though, if they draft a pitcher because the pitchers that we've been looking at, uh, we the Pirates love themselves some projectable arms, right-handed pitchers, and you get that with Quinn, Quinn Priester, the prep pitcher from uh, Illinois. You get that uh, with Brennan Morrell. So there, there are definitely some quality options, and I think Gunnar Henderson would be a good option as well. And we we, we talked about these options at length at this point. <clears throat> now there there is a little bit of a concern that Brett Bay might go to the University of Texas. But that is highly unlikely. I mean, if you get drafted number 18, you're going to get a, a nice signing bonus. Um, yeah, and I'll tell you what, that that 2017 season is now paying the dividends because it allowed us to get the 10th overall pick and pick Travis Swaggerty. It's just a part of the cyclical nature of baseball. Like, what do you what do you want? Do you want a winning season after picking number eighteen, or do you want a you know seventy one season, seventy two, seventy three, and picking the top ten and help your system out? I was very happy with the Pirates season last year. I thought they they played very well in September. They could have they could have tanked in September theoretically. They could have taken a better draft pick, but the thing is, they were still in contention until middle of September, and it felt good to have meaningful baseball games. Back in Pittsburgh. I really hope we can just keep moving down that list from 18. Keep keep that moving down. Because if that moves down further, you know, 19, 20, we're getting in that range. Playoff teams right there. And th- this Pirates team is definitely capable of playing in October. And I really think, I mean, as Montana Rafael said, I keep going back to that, but it's just awesome response uh, from him. I think this team can do it. Again, MLB draft is now uh, less than two weeks away. It is on June the 3rd. That will be uh, next Monday. So it's a week from Monday. Uh, Yeah, so you're joining your Memorial Day cookout on Monday. Uh, You can look ahead a week from that night 
MLB draft will be on MLB Network. The Pirates do not play, I believe, on that day. So all of my focus on my Instagram account will be 100% dedicated towards the draft. And I, I promise you guys I will get all the draft picks out rounds 1 through 40. Oh, yeah, the Pirates do not play on June 3rd. So if you're a fan, make sure to tune in to MLB Network. And if you don't have it, I'll get your post notifications on. I'm box dug out to see who we pick day one uh, and then days two and three. All right, uh, enough draft for today. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about it next week. I uh, just want to talk about uh, the series against the Rockies. So after a rough start to the series, the Pittsburgh Pirates rallied to blow out the Colorado Rockies in the finale of their three-game series. Entering play on Tuesday night, the Pittsburgh Pirates were getting ready to kick off the six-game homestand. On the heels of a 7-4 and four road trip, the Pirates were looking to continue their hot play. While the series as a whole did not go as the team had hoped, they did finish it on a high note. Following blowout losses in each of the first two games of the series, the Pirates bounced back to put a 14-6 beatdown on the Rockies in Wednesday afternoon's series finale. The eight-run victory was the largest margin of victory for the Pirates this season and improved the team to 25-22 and overall. With the series loss, the Pirates are now 8-6-2 and in 16 series play of the season. However, as we will get into later, they have not done well in series at home or against the NL West. Uh, next up, as we know, for the Bucs, is that three-game series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, the team will be looking to get some revenge on the Dodgers after they were swept in L.A. last month. But before turning our attention to the Dodgers, let's take a look at the key takeaways from their serious loss against the Rockies. First takeaway, the Pirates are struggling at PNC Park. Going back, dating back to 2013, PNC Park has been a great home field advantage for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So far in 2019, though, this has not been the case. In seven home series this season, the Pirates are just 3-3-1. This equates to an overall record at home of 10 and 12. While being 15-11 on the road is great, being under 500 at home is simply not good enough. Part of the reason the pie record at PNC Park is poor is due to a pair of series sweeps. They were swept in a two-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals and a four-game series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Outside of these two series, they are 10 and 6 at home. So the early season struggles at home may be due to these two series and not a trend. Hopefully this is the case. If the Pirates are going to continue to contend into the National League postseason hunt throughout the summer months, they must play better at home. Okay? Nine of the team's next 13 games will be played at the friendly confines of PNC Park. This will give them an opportunity to turn things around in a hurry at home. Let's hope that is what will happen. Takeaway number two, the NL West has been a major problem. 48 games into the 2019 season, the Pittsburgh Pirates own a 25-23 and 23 record. This puts them three and a half games out of the first place in the National League Central and two games out of the second National League wild card spot. It also puts them on an 86-win pace. All of this is despite being 8-14 against the NL West. Following this year, they are now 1-6 against the Arizona Diamondbacks, 1-2 against the Colorado Rockies, 2-1 against the San Francisco Giants, 3-1 against the San Diego Padres, and 0-4 against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Against the rest of baseball, the Pirates own a 17-8 record, which is a 680 winning percentage. There is no real explanation for the team's struggles against the NL West this season. Being 0-4 against the Dodgers, one of the best teams in baseball, is one thing. But an overall record of 8-15 is another completely. 
Thankfully, after this weekend series against the Dodgers, the Pirates will almost be done with the NL West. They will just have one series each left against the Rockies, Giants, and Padres, the latter two of which the Pirates are a combined 5-2 and two against this season, only a pair of season victories. Takeaway number three, Josh Bell's hot start is overshadowing Gregory Polanco's start. Throughout the first two months of the 2019 season, the focus and attention of the Pittsburgh Pirates offense has centered on Josh Bell, and rightfully so. After all, Bell is playing like a legitimate NL MVP candidate with a 339 average, 408 OVP, 718 slugging, and a 192 WRC+. However, one player that should not be overlooked is Gregory Polanco. The Pirates right fielder missed the first 19 games of the season due to off-season shoulder surgery. Since returning, he has looked the best he ever has. After cranking his fifth home run of the season on Thursday afternoon, Polanco now owns a 522 slugging percentage and a 244 ISO. Both of these numbers are career high, as is his 365 WOBA and 132 WRC+. His 12.2 extra base percentage is a career high as well. Despite the fantastic start that Polanco is off to, it feels like no one is talking about it. Again, this is understandable due to Bell being off to a historically good start. But it's time people start to talk more about the start Polanco is off to. Right now, Polanco and Bell are giving the Pirate lineup a lethal one-two punch in the team's lineup. If these two can continue to hit at a high level throughout the season, that will do nothing but bode well for the Pirates. In order for the Pirates' offense to reach its full potential, both Polanco and Bell need to be at their best, and so far this season, they have been. Yeah, just going through my three takeaways again. Takeaway number one, we're not playing well at PNC Park. Takeaway number two, NOS is a problem. Takeaway number three, Gregory Polanco's hot start is being overshadowed by Josh Bell. Let's dive a little bit more into my first takeaway, which we're just not playing well at PNC Park. I mean, 10 and 12 right now at our home stadium. <laughs> that, that's not where you want to be. I mean, yeah, we, we have a very good road record sitting at 15 and 11, and that's great. You see, we're, you're supposed to win your home series. Good teams, great teams, dominate at home, 500 on the road. You're over 500, that's great. Like the fact, if you would have told me the Pirates are going to start off 15-11 and 11 on the road, I would say it would be the best team in baseball right now because over the past years, dating back to 2013, the home field advantage that we've experienced at PNC Park in front of our home fans has been unlike any in all of baseball. We play very well typically at home. And, you know, six of those losses come the early season sweeps against the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks. So you take those away. Take those six losses away. Ten and six at home. Hopefully, and again, we have nine of our next 13 games at home. So we can right this ship right now. We can turn it around right now starting tonight against the Dodgers. Let's win these next two games, win this series, go to Cincy, play like we play on the road all season, and then come back home and play some baseball against the Brewers. You know, if we can figure out this home field advantage, then if we can get it back to the way that we've typically played at home, this team is going to be one of the best teams in baseball, and especially when healthy. We mentioned Corey Dickerson and Cuny Kella 
on their way back, and Lonnie Chisnall is on a rehab stint as well. So we have pieces that are on their way back. We have the pieces to do this. It's just a matter of actually going out and doing it. Again, my second takeaway about the NOS being a problem, thank God we don't have to face them much more after this weekend. The Dodgers have been a major problem, 0-4 against them. Got Musgrove and Archer uh, tonight and tomorrow, so hopefully we can uh, salvage it, get 2-4 and four on the season series, and uh, say bye-bye until maybe the playoffs. I mean, after that, we just got the Padres, the Rockies, and uh, the Giants. And I, we can beat the Giants and the Padres. Uh, Giants will be at their place. Padres at our place will be in course. So I definitely think we can. We should beat the Padres at home. Uh, we, in baseball games in the South Valley, we should beat the Rockies at course, and the Giants are on a good team. We should be able to beat them at their place. So, I mean, after the Dodgers, the, the NL West schedule isn't that difficult at the outside of the Rockies. I mean, course is always a difficult place to play in. It's not at home. Um, but we can beat that team as well. Definitely can. And getting to my third takeaway, just diving into that a little bit more, uh, Polanco, my goodness. He's having a hot start. And it's, it's being overshadowed by Josh Bell, but like those two are turning into the Bash brothers for this Pittsburgh Pirates team. I mean, Polanco is finally starting to turn to the right field that we all expected, that we saw glimpses of in 2015. We did. We saw what he was capable of last season, and he hit 23 bombs, 80-some ribbies, and he didn't even play any September. And he was also he, – he was very cold early in the season as well during that whole outfield rotation day with Meadows, Marte, Polanco, and Dickerson. And it, it's nice to see Polanco starting to come into his own because when he is coming into his own, he's one of the best baseball – best right fielders in baseball. I mean, last season, some of the throws he was making right field, I mean, <laughs> shades of Dave Parker out there, the Cobra. El Cafe is the new Kerber, right? So th- this team and th- that one-two puncher, they can continue their success. Bell and Polanco, right in the middle of the lineup, 3-4. It's only going to bode well for this team this season. And if they are going to be a competitive team and they are going to be a playoff team, those two are going to have to continue their success. I believe they will be. So again, three takeaways. One, not playing well at PNC. Two, NLS is a problem. And three, uh, don't sleep on Gregory Polanco. The Pittsburgh Pirates lost their game yesterday against the Los Angeles Dodgers. However, they did receive a couple of good starts in the minors uh, this past week. So yesterday, the Pittsburgh Pirates took another tough loss to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The team did not receive much from their pitching staff or bats. Uh, while the Bucks had some poor pitching, they did see a couple of their minor league affiliates get a couple of strong starts. The Altoona Curve took on the New Hampshire Fisher Cats of the Toronto Blue Jays organization. The curve lost in a close game by a score of 2-1. to one. Obviously, they received a heck of a pitching effort from their staff starting the game with former six-round pick Cam Vaux. Left-handed starter added to his already strong season with six strong innings. He only allowed two in runs, which ended up giving him the loss, but he did strike out 10 batters. The former Michigan State Spartan is now 2-3 on the year, but has a 2.86 ERA. Following Vaux was 2016's fifth-round pick Blake Cedarland. Cedarland started... The year in high A Bradenton and through to a 1.17 ERA, and the team moved him up to double A recently. So far, he has thrown six games and has accumulated 10 and a third total innings. 
uh, last night he threw two shutout innings and has yet to give up a run since joining the curve. Meanwhile, down in Bradenton, the Marauders took on the Fort Myers miracle of the Minnesota Twins organization. The miracle built a pretty solid team around their two former first-round picks in Trevor Larnick and Royce Lewis. However, the Marauders were able to stifle the Miracles' offense. The Pittsburgh Pirates' high A affiliate won by a score of 2-1. to one. Starting the game for the Marauders was Scranton, Pennsylvania native Max Cranick. Cranick was an elite pick in 2016 and was given a large bonus to sign with the team. This year has been up and down, but he got back on track last night. The six foot three right-hander threw seven innings of one-run baseball and struck out three batters. He only gave up on one hit, and it came via a solo home run Cranick's ERA is now 4.79, and he has a record of 2-5. and five. Well, now this team's offense did much last night. The Pittsburgh Pirates have to be happy to see so many strong pitching performances in the minors. Last night was just another night of good pitching, which has been the theme of the year in the minors. The team has had some really good pitching performances and looks like they could have a lot of pitching depth in a few years. We talked about Cambo on AA at length, I believe, last episode, and sort of just how he is a left-handed prospect. And, you know, we're not used to having uh, these left-handed pitching prospects. I mean, the last true prospect, left-handed side, uh, it was Stephen Brault. I mean, Jeff Locke, you'd sort of throw into that discussion. But still, there hasn't been that left-handed pitching prospect, and I believe that Cam Vogue could turn into the guy – that you know becomes that left-handed pitching prospect. I really think he could. And again, we we talked about his potential being like a number five starter uh, for this team in the future, and that is more realistic uh, than anything. Maybe a strong bullpen arm, and then you know Cedarland as well. He pitched very well in relief, and ever since coming up from uh, high A Bradenton, where he earned a 1.17 ERA, he's been pitching very well in Double A. And Max Cranick from the 2016 draft, uh, we gave him a nice signing bonus, so he wouldn't go to college. And, you know, he's had an up-and-down season, but he's starting to figure himself out. And that's what the Myers is, is meant for. I mean, outside of the elite top prospects, and even those guys, I mean, everybody struggles at some point. And we're, it's May 25th, guys. And that, that's why I say don't harp too much on numbers this early in the season. Because this early in the season, you've got to be having – an extremely hot start, and it's just, you know, a month and a half of good baseball, like two months of good baseball, or it just could be a slow start. And everything is amplified right now. All the numbers are amplified. Like, at-bats are switching your averages. Everyone massively changes your ERA. And it's unfair to the players because the fans, the average fans, uh, fail to understand that. I mean, they know what the numbers mean. They know what a good number is, and they know what a bad number is, right? Especially, like, batting average and ERA. They know that, okay, like, a good number, sub four, low four, something like that. If you see anything in the fives, you're like, oh, no, who's this guy, right? Or you see a batting average in the low 200s, let's say they're off to a slow start, slower start. And, I mean, what, the classic examples uh, last season with Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt. Like, we know who these guys are. They're going to do well, but the numbers just weren't there until, like, June. And even Andrew McCutcheon, when he was having his MVP candidate seasons and his MVP season in 2013, he did not turn it on until the summer months. It was just cut, right? So seeing Max trying to cap that 4.3-something year, it's, it's not alarming. 
And as I said again, that is what the minor leagues is for. It's for figuring yourself out, figuring out what works and what doesn't. Developing your pitches, developing your stuff, developing your sequences, seeing what works for you and what the hitters can't hit. That is what the minor leagues are for. Because you, you don't want to be doing that at the major league level, right? You, you want to know what works for you, who you are, what your pitchers are, how you like to sequence them. You want to know all of that in the minor leagues. And then once you have success at the level, you get moved up and you have to prove it against better competition. That happens all the way until AAA. And then you, by the time you're in the majors, you have yourself figured out for the most part. You know what you want to do with a baseball when you get on the mound. You go out and do it. And either it works or it doesn't. And if it works, you stay. And if it doesn't, you go back down to Indy. Or play Indy. It's sort of a microcosm of what the minor leagues is and what it's meant for. Why there are so many teams and so many players in each team. Figure. Guys supposed to figure themselves out. Figure out what they want to do with the ball when they get on the mound. Get that confidence. Get ready to roll in Pittsburgh. The pitching depth that this team is going to have in a few years is going to be insane. Insane. I mean, our staff is already so young. So young. Jameson Tyron, Trevor Williams, Joe Musgrove. Chris Harker's not young, but he, he's locked up for a little while, too. And then Chad Cool's going to be coming back next year. You got Mitch Keller. You got JT Brubaker. Moving up the system, you got guys like Max Kranick, Cam Bowe that we've talked about, Aaron Shortridge. There are some good pitching prospects in this Pirate system, and the depth is just going to continue. And we, we talked about this. This team is built on the backs of their pitching staff, and they've done an excellent job in going out and developing that pitching through the minors. The guys that they drafted. And then, again, just going back to the reason why I love the draft so much and why I, I took 20 minutes out of the show to talk about the draft with you guys today. The, the pitching depth is going to be fun to have, and it, it's, you know, we're short on that depth right now, but we will we will rebound. Most definitely. Pirates take on the Dodgers tonight. Joe Musgrove uh, on the hill for the team, facing up against uh, Hyunjin Ryu on Fox Sports. It's going to be a fun one. Hopefully we get a packed house like we had last night, 32,000. I think that's the highest since the, the home opener. And then tomorrow, Chris Archer v. Kenta Maeda. And on Monday, we head to Cincy for a doubleheader. Um, and Tuesday, Wednesday games, and we come home for four against the Brewers. So it's going to be a lot of fun baseball coming up. Head out to PNC Park, see your battle in Buccos, go to stubyard.com, punch in promo code BPN10. That's BPN10, 10% off all tickets, all events. Uh, hope you go to the Pirate Games with those. Give yourself 10% off those tickets. Uh, yeah, that is our show. Thank you all for tuning in. Huge shout out to Montana Rappo for joining us on the show today. Loved having him on. I can't say thank you enough. It'll be nice to see him pitch. I'll be at the game, so expect live updates on my Bucks Dugout account as per usual. I'll give that a follow as well uh, for more Bucky with content. And our tour website at baseballpodcastnet.com has merchandise, all the podcasts. Uh, we've got the big expansion coming up a week from today. Um, so, yeah, just going over that a little bit. We're going to be on Spreaker. Uh, if you listen like on Apple Podcasts or something, um, be cool. I'll put the link in my bio as well on my Instagram account so you guys can just go directly to that if that's how you're used to doing this. Um, yeah, so that will be happening on Saturday. Yeah, uh, have a 
fantastic weekend. It is so nice out right now. I mean, man, I love Memorial Day weekend. Gives you like that little glimpse of summer. Um, but summer is here. It is here. Uh, the Battle and Buckers are two games out of the wild card spot. So hopefully by this time next week we will have that wild card spot. I would love to get that back. Um, yeah, let's have a good week. Uh, have a safe, fun Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's supposed to be super nice out. I heard thunderstorms tonight, possibility. So hopefully the rain stays away. My name is Benson Vector. Have a safe, fun weekend, and we'll see you here uh, same time, same place, Buck Booth, Saturday. Thank you again to Montana Rappo for joining the show.